I suspect that some of you perked up during the opening prayer this morning. The collect for the fourth Sunday of Advent is the exact same prayer that is prayed at the end of the Angelus prayer. For forth we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. This parallel only became clear again in English in 2011, when we switched back to a more literal translation of the Latin prayers of the Missal, and I am still pleasantly surprised by it every year. So I think we should talk a little bit about the Angelus Prayer today and the entire culture of Catholic devotional prayers. But we have to start with some definitions and some history. A so-called popular devotion is a prayer, item, or practice that helps us to feel more love for God or the saints. It is called popular because, unlike things like the Mass and the Liturgy of the Hours, which emerge from the Apostles and the clergy, devotions typically began with the common people, who were looking for ways to live out the faith in their daily lives. Similar to a parent who keeps a picture of the spouse and kids in their wallet or purse, religious devotions are often small things that serve to remind us of the God we adore or the saints we wish to imitate. The Catholicism of the 19th and 20th centuries was heavily devotional, with most people's experience of the faith being defined by the devotions of their families and communities. Today, however, we live in a time and a place where popular devotions have almost completely died out. Why? Partly, this is because Catholic culture has almost completely died out. Catholics no longer live in their own isolated neighborhoods where a Catholic culture can flourish. And most Catholics, with the notable exception of Latinos, no longer have a connection to the Catholic country of their ancestors, like Ireland, Italy, or Poland, where the traditions of the faith might live on. The United States is a majority Protestant country that is increasingly secular. So the longer we live here, the more we trade the deeply Catholic cultures of our grandparents for the non-Catholic or non-religious culture of those who surround us. But in addition to the natural processes of assimilation, the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s made things infinitely more complicated. I unequivocally support Vatican II. Not just the documents, which you have to accept to be a Catholic, but also the original purpose of the Council, which was to uncover the beating heart of the faith, so often obscured by historical additions and peripheral requirements. By identifying what was necessary for the faith and what could be compromised, the Catholic Church was able to open itself to dialogue with Protestants and non-Christians, to rediscover the holiness and spirituality of the laity through baptism, and to simplify the Mass to maximize the participation of the people in the prayers of the Church. 
We began to talk about foundational principles rather than concrete rules, and began leaving the implementation of these principles to local dioceses, parishes, and people. Unfortunately, in the years following the Council, when the Church stopped requiring something, many people incorrectly inferred that the Church was now discouraging it. People would openly declare, for example, that the rosary was not an appropriate prayer for a post-conciliar church. A lot of this came from sloppy catechesis. Rather than study the actual documents of Vatican II, many people chose to focus on the so-called spirit of Vatican II, which, lacking a foundation in the documents, became whatever a person wanted it to be. Add to this the fact that many people were angry at the pre-conciliar church for being too restrictive and too strict. So they encouraged the abandonment of Latin and statues and devotions and other marks of Catholic culture because these things reminded them of a time that they found unpleasant. All of this places us today in a unique era. In the Anglo community, we only have really one generation left that remembers the devotions and practices of the old Catholic culture. My generation grew up with few to none of the old hymns, the old prayers, the old practices. And generally, the young people longed for them. We feel robbed of our identity and our faith because the only Catholicism we have ever known has looked no different than Protestantism. It is only a few steps away from secular humanism. We want to be deeply Catholic, but we don't know how. And for the Latinos, there are many generations that have lived the Catholic devotions of the old country. But the ones who were born here are and want to be fully American. So they struggle to decide what they should keep and what they should reject from their parents' culture. They struggle to differentiate between what is Catholic and what is simply Mexican or Guatemalan or Salvadorian. And they risk giving up everything Catholic just to blend in with the culture that surrounds them. Which brings us back to popular devotions. Because these devotions emerge from the people, they are intimately connected to culture and history. We all bring different biases and desires to the discussion. But we all can agree, what we can all agree on is this, that because we deeply love our God and our faith, we do want to find prayers and items and practices that will increase our devotion to God, the faith, and the saints. Following the example of Vatican II, the Church does not tell us which particular devotions we have to pray. She doesn't even require a devotion as powerful as the Rosary. But she does unequivocally encourage us to have a rich devotional life. 
Now that said, I do think that many of the traditional Catholic devotions are particularly helpful. These devotions developed over many centuries and generations specifically because they speak to the human heart in a profound and lasting way. The Angelus, for example, was traditionally prayed at 6 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m., which was commonly the beginning, the middle, and the end of the workday. It was the working person's prayer, which is why the entire focus of the prayer is the incarnation. Work is hard. And it is a consoling thought to remember that the word of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus worked. He knows our struggles, our strifes, and our difficulties. And Mary shows us how to say yes to these difficulties throughout the day. My friends, Christmas is a time full of devotions. The manger scenes, the posadas, the Christmas ornaments and decorations, the journeys of the, the journey of the wise men, and so many other family traditions help us to remember and enter into the birth of our Savior. But let's not allow our devotional life to end with the Christmas season. Let's ask our parents and grandparents about the little prayers and practices they were taught to say throughout the day or week. And let's try to bring some of them back into our lives. The morning and evening offerings, grace before meals, the Angelus, meatless Fridays, all of these take part of our day or week and give them back to the Lord. Holy images, house blessings, and garden shrines all take the places where we live and offer them to the Lord. And the rosary, the scapular, holy medals, and numerous other prayers and devotions allow us to honor and imitate the lives of the Blessed Virgin and the saints. The Catholic faith is beautiful precisely because it is so earthly, so domestic, so historical and cultural. Let's use this history, culture, and sacramentality to give our hearts to Jesus at every moment and in every place, now and in the new year. Let's invite the Lord into the small moments of our lives so that we can continually receive the great gift given to us first in Bethlehem. Now, if you know the Angelus Prayer, I encourage you to pray it along with me. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. 